Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Hey, everybody. I have an announcement. You want to hear it? The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Healing is the children's bread. So if you need healing and you're hungry, get it because it's available for you. How are you guys today? So good to see all of your beautiful faces. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Pablo. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It it is so good to see you guys tonight. And I'm just excited for what the Lord has been doing. Um, It's been really special over the last several weeks, I would say. He's always up to something, right? He's always doing something. There's never a moment where he's not doing something. Um, But there are certain seasons where you just feel the handle of the Lord um, just really shifting things. And and often that happens individually um, and often also corporately for us as, as a family. And it has... It has felt that way uh, for us in this season. And the Lord has been, um, over the last few weeks, just kind of been speaking to me about this, um, this prayer that we have been praying for about a year now. So if, you, if you've been around long enough, you probably heard Sam talk about this. Um, and, and it's just this ask of the Lord that he would shake whatever he wants that he would take whatever he wants, and that he would purify whatever he wants. Amen? And, and I do believe that to be a prayer uh, for us as the bride, and that he is intentionally purifying things in the bride in this season. But guess what? The parts of the body make up the whole thing. So you and I are a part of the body of Christ. We are part of the bride. So as we ourselves individually submit ourselves to the Lord into this process with him, um, the body of Christ will see the benefit and the bride, therefore, will be purified. Amen? Um, Yeah, I'm going to share this with you guys. So last week, I I I was thinking about it. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to or not, but I feel like I am. Um, last week during worship, I'm usually behind the drums over here in the in the corner, and we uh, we are singing "Show Me Your Glory." And knowing going into the week that that was going to be one of the songs that we were doing, and and, uh, and and I've obviously known that song for a long time. Um, I had just been sitting with the Lord that week um, just on that phrase, like, show me your glory, show me your glory. And, and how many times with that song, much like with many others that we sing, we sing, we, we say these words, right? Uh, and, and we, you know, we do our best to mean what we say and say what we mean. Um, but I was, I was, as I was going into that week, I, I just felt this... Um, yeah, just this urge in my heart to want to really 
mean it when I say, Lord, show us your glory. And to understand the implications of that question as well. And so as we're worshiping um, last week and we're singing those very words, I was just gripped by the Lord. And gripped by the Lord in the sense of like the weightiness of the, or the very thing that we're asking for. That he would show us his glory, that he would show us his face, that he would show us himself for who he is. That's a crazy ask. <laughs> that we would ask the God of the universe to show us the fullness of who he is. Fully knowing, like, we'd be dead if he showed up that way, possibly. <laughs> but there's a, there's a weightiness, there's a cost to those types of, of things that we ask of the Lord. And, and as, a, as a church body, as a family, and as a part of the, the bride of Christ, we, we have been asking these things. We have been praying these prayers that are risky prayers. Prayers that carry weight with them. And as we were worshiping, I, I felt the weight. And even tonight, even tonight, as Tori was, was singing, make me righteous, make me holy, consecrate me for your glory. There's a weightiness on those words because they mean something and they carry something with it as well. And I felt the Lord last week uh, and even this week as well just grip me with the fear of the Lord for the very things that we're asking of him. And I know that from talking to a lot of you um, over the last several weeks and, and what the Lord has been doing in people's lives, I, I know that this is like a theme that is happening. That the Lord is purifying us. That the Lord is consecrating us. That the Lord is calling us higher. That the Lord is wanting us to show, uh, wanting to show us his glory. And for us to be hungry for that very thing. And over the last couple of weeks, um, Sam has been talking about being lovesick. And we, we are a people who want to be known for being lovesick for our bridegroom. But that involves loving every single part of him. Did you know that? Not just the parts that we prefer or the parts that we're comfortable with. That's all of him. And so if I ask you, do you love the Lord's correction? Are you lovesick for the correction of the Lord? Many of us would have to think about it. Do I actually love the correction of the Lord? Some of us might even say we do, but do we actually love? Are we lovesick for his correction? And so I love what he is doing, in, not just in our community, but in the bride at large in this season. And he's always doing many things. Um, but one of the things that I feel like for us as a house, uh, he is doing, among many other things, like I said, is this call to complete consecration. Is this call to complete dedication and devotion to him. Amen? Do you feel that? Do you sense that? It's not just me, right? 
And, and this, is not, this is not a new idea. But it is most important for the bride to become the pure, spotless bride that he's coming back for. And so because of that, he's putting his finger on some things that we can't take with us where he is taking us, both individually and corporately. Here's the good news. The blood of Jesus has purified us. It is only through the blood of Jesus that we become pure. Amen for that. He made a way for us to be the pure bride that he purchased with his own very blood. Without him, there's, there was actually no way for us to become pure. Because we can't be pure in our own strength. Newsflash, if you've been trying really hard. We cannot. And the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Now that we have access to the purity that Jesus paid for, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, every single believer, onto the purity of Jesus. That's good news. And so, so the Father, through the Holy Spirit, and for the sake of Jesus and what his blood accomplished, invites us into this refinement process. And the thing about refinement is that the purity of something of value doesn't actually become seen unless it's refined. Scripture says that like gold and silver are refined, so does the Lord refine us. Gold and silver are refined not to see if there's purity in them, but because there's purity in them. Did you catch that? The refinement actually exposes the purity that is there already. The purity that it already possesses. It makes it so that it's seen. It makes it so that it's not hidden behind any impurities that it might have attached to it. And so like the refinement of gold and silver that exposes, that puts on display what is actually the true nature of it, which is gold and silver. That's its true nature. I believe the Lord wants to refine us so that what's supposed to be in our new nature in Christ becomes exposed. It's put on display. We know, we know the fact that fire burns impurities, right? But more importantly, fire actually reveals purity. When you refine fire, when you refine silver, 
It is actually the revelation of the purity that is already in that gold, in that silver. And so that refinement process is, is needed. We all need it. It's needed in us so that our lives become the full manifestation of the pure bride that he gave everything for. And the thing is, you know, unless you're actively fighting against it, it is very likely that the Lord is purifying your life in some way, shape, or form. If we are willing, we are always being purified. We are always being refined. So this is not a new thing. But I do believe that in this season and moving forward, those who choose to submit and be gripped by the fear of the Lord will hunger for more of the Lord's refinement. Because having the right view of who he is will actually provoke us into more of his purifying. The more that we see him rightly, the more we actually hunger to be like him. The more we actually hunger to be pure. The more we actually hunger to be refined. The more, the, the more we're willing to. <laughs> now here's the thing, though. You ready? Yep. Although when we are refined and purified... It benefits us. It is not actually for us. It's not for others either. It's for him. It benefits us in that it exposes what's truly in our new nature in Christ. Right? So that can be more manifested in our lives. But it's not for our sake. I'll prove it to you. You want me to prove it to you? Let's read some scripture. Titus 2, 14. This is Paul talking about Jesus. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Your purification is not for you. It's for him. In Isaiah 48, we see the Lord speaking through Isaiah when he says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake... For my own sake, he says it twice, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. So the Lord is speaking to Israel through Isaiah, and he's he's telling them, I have refined you, not because 
you needed, although they did, right? Not because they deserved it, obviously. But I have refined you for my name's sake. I have refined you for my praise's sake. I have refined you for my own sake. And I have refined you for my glory's sake. There are four, four specific things that the Lord is pointing out in that passage. His own sake is the very nature of God. That, that's him, himself. Like who he is at the core. His name, we talk a lot about the names of God, right? They reveal his nature. They reveal what he is like. His glory, which is the manifestation of the nature of God. Is the majesty, is the splendor of his nature and who he is. And also his praise. The thing that he is only worthy of. And so on this passage, we, passage we see that for the sake of those things, it says that he deferred his anger restrained it from them so that they would not be cut off. And they deserved his anger. But at this point, I mean, Israel had done all the things in being unfaithful to the Lord. They had gone back and forth and said yes, and then gone back and the idols, and it was a mess. So they deserved his anger. They deserved to be cut off. But he refines them not because of any of those things, but because of his own sake. Because he is holy. Because he's perfect. And because who he is at his core is worth protecting. He said it on that passage. He's, how, uh, for how should my name be profane? My glory I will not share with another. Well, but that was, you know, that was Israel, right? They were a mess all the time. <laughs> the example of not what to do. Actually, no, that was all of us. Before Jesus, that was every single one of us. Deserving of the Lord's anger. Because of our rebellion, because of our sin. The Lord will not have his name associated with people who will be willing to cheapen what he is actually worth. He will not. And that is why we needed Jesus to step into that place on our behalf so that we can come in into the presence of a, the most holy God, the only God. And it's only five chapters later in Isaiah that we actually see this. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, it says, However, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pain that he carried. 
Yet we ourselves assume that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. On the cross, Jesus carried our sickness, our pain, our offenses, our wrongdoings, wrongdoings, and the very punishment that you and I deserved. He carried all of it for his own sake, for the sake of his name, the sake of his glory, the sake of his praise. And because of that, now you and I have access to all that he is and all that we are in him. Romans 3 puts it this way. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice for, of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed before him unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so us to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Such is the righteousness of God that it demands righteousness. And the only way for us to become the righteousness of God was through Jesus. It's all about him. It has always been about him. And only him. Christians, believers, us, we often get lost in, on this me-centric gospel that places us at the center of God's universe. Oh, he came for me to give me this and that, and to do this you know, in me and through me, in my life, in my dreams, in my desires, in my gifting, in my ministry, in my, my, my. But this is all about him. We get to be a part of his story, not him, ours. The primary goal of the Lord's refinement that purifies us is not so that our lives be better or for the success of our ministries or calling. We are refined, we are made pure for his sake, for the sake of his holy name, for the sake of his glory that fills the earth. For the sake of the praise that he is only worthy of. Him. That's it. Nobody else. He is the only one worthy of it.
So now that we agree, because I'm sure you're agreeing with me here, that the Lord is purifying us, right? And that he wants to refine us. And that this is all about him. Say, this is all about him. What does that look like? Right? Because the refining looks like something. Otherwise, it's just this, you know, kind of idea up here that we never actually get a hold of. And I believe that the refining looks like consecration. Biblically speaking, consecration means to sanctify, to prepare, to dedicate, be made holy, be sanctified, be separate. Consecration, by definition, is for someone else's sake, not our own. We are sanctified, we are prepared, we are dedicated, we are made holy, praise the Lord. We are to be separate for someone else and someone else alone. That's the whole point of consecration. And in our covenant relationship with Jesus, or I should say our covenant relationship with Jesus requires consecration. It requires that we become sanctified, prepared, dedicated, made holy, be separate for him and him alone. Amen? He wants all of me and all of you. And he wants to share your affections and my affections with nothing and no one. And so if we are willing to consecrate ourselves for the Lord, to allow the Lord to refine us, we have to be willing for him to come and shake some things up. He's got to shake some... Th- sorry. <laughs> English, second language. Yay. <laughs> He's got to shake some stuff in us so that who or what truly has our hearts is exposed, is revealed. Last week, Sam talked about offense, and, and the prayer in our response was, Lord, search my heart to see there's, if there's anything offensive in there. It's the same posture that we allow, allow the Lord to refine us, to purify us by allowing him to come and shake things up at the core of who we are in our hearts. There's a connection that Ezekiel makes when it comes to this idea that everything is for his sake, his glory, the refinement is unto him, and how that connects to our heart. And that's on uh, chapter 36, verse 22, we'll start. The Lord says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. There it is again. Which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I 
will vindicate the holiness of my great name. I love that. Which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you, listen to this, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So there's again that's this idea that the Lord vindicates his holiness, his name, does these things for his own sake. And then in uh, verse 26, this is the very famous passage that we all know when it comes to our hearts, right? Or at least the one that we hold on to for hope, that we have a new heart. <laughs> but this is a promise because he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's good news. The heart, it is at the core of our being and not just the muscle that you know, beats inside of our chest. In Proverbs 27, I love what it says but it's also extremely convicting. <laughs> it says, as in, water face, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Oof. And that means that your life and my life will be the mirror reflection of our hearts. The heart is also what the Lord looks at, right? The Lord said to Samuel when he was looking for the next king, to anoint the next king, he said, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We are called to love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts. Jesus said to Matthew, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see God? I want to see God. It requires a pure heart. Solomon, the, the wisest man who ever lived, said, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Other translation says, for everything you do comes from it. And if you read uh, Proverbs 4, it is this chapter of the book where Solomon shares the wisdom of his own father, David. And he talks about the value of wisdom, the value of the things that he was passed down in wisdom. And so he talks about not just the value of wisdom, but the value of holding on to her words and how his father David shared these with him. So then he gets to do the same thing with his son. That's the passage where we get that scripture, guard your heart. If we read right before that, 
in verse 20, it says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Where do you keep them? In your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We're pretty big on guarding our hearts in Christian culture, right? Especially when it comes to, you know, other people, relationships. You know, often people use the quote-unquote guard your heart to, you know, justify boundaries with others, mainly as an excuse as to not have to invest in relationship. Right? Like we say, oh, guard your heart, follow your heart, trust your heart, which sounds really good unless the things that are actually in our hearts shouldn't be guarded, shouldn't be trusted, and shouldn't be followed. <laughs> Jesus talked about the heart of men in Mark, where he's, he said, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covering, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. If these are the type of things that can come from within our hearts, we have to make sure that it's not these things that we are actually guarding and protecting. I think we often do this to each other because we do it to the Lord. For the sake of guarding our hearts, we keep him at arm's length. And we justify that as healthy boundaries. When in fact, it is fear the reason why we won't let him or others in. And we, we, can, we can hide our motives from one another, the deep things of our heart. We can't hide those from the Father. I actually think, you can tell me if you agree with this or not, that's okay. I'm okay with people disagreeing. Um, I actually think that Father, search my heart is a better prayer than Father, protect my heart. Because according to Psalms 44, for example, it says that he already knows the secrets of our hearts. And so if he knows what's in our hearts... I would propose that he will not partner with us in protecting something that is not of him. The Lord will not, he won't bless or answer a request for something that is rooted in fear. 
something that is rooted in selfish ambition. He is love. Love doesn't mix with fear. As a matter of fact, it casts it out. Bye-bye. But also because he didn't ask us to guard the fears or selfish motives within our hearts. That was not what he asked. That, that was not what he commended us to. And so often our motivation for wanting to guard our hearts is fueled by fear. Fear of failure, fear of pain, fear of disappointment, fear of rejection, you name it. But when we ask him to search our hearts, we don't ask because he doesn't know or because we're sending him on a scavenger hunt to figure out what's in our hearts. We ask him to search our hearts so that we know what's in our hearts. Solomon said it again. Would you pull up that Proverbs 4, uh, 20 again? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. That, that word vigilance actually means a place of confinement, prison, guard, jail, guard post, watch, observance. Like it's not that, like this light watching over your heart. It's like watch over your heart like it's a prison. That you're trying to not let out whatever is in there. That's the kind of vigilance that we are to watch our hearts over. And so, do you know what actually is worth us guarding within our hearts with all vigilance? His words. His wisdom, his instruction. That's what this passage is all about. If you want to guard your heart with vigilance, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to me. There lies the secret. Why? So that life will flow out of us. Because if it's not life that's flowing out of our hearts, something else is. And often it's not pretty. Scripture talks about David being a man after God's heart. He was after God's heart, not the safety of his own. And he passed down this wisdom to Solomon. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it's this idea that whatever the Father has to say about you is worth keeping and guarding within you 
because it will bring life out of you. So then we, we let the Lord shake. We let, him, we let him shake in us the places that we've gotten comfortable with. And so that when that happens, he can actually sift through what's his and what's not. That's what happens when we're asking for that. Did you realize that? When you said, Lord, shake whatever you want. Sounds good. He will. And he'll sift some things. And he'll be able to point to the things that, oh, this is mine in your heart. This is mine in your heart. This is mine. These are my thoughts for you. This is, my, this is what I have for you. This pile right here, I'm not taking credit for that. That's not mine. You know, the sifting often happens with gold, right? That's how you find it. And so once we have allowed the Lord to shake us, then we actually have to let him take it from us. That requires surrender. Say, I love surrender. I love surrender. Whew. Amen. God, God is not interested in the consecration of our behavior. He is interested in the consecration of our hearts. To the degree that our hearts are consecrated, set apart for him, and only him, our behavior then will follow. Consecration often requires correction. I would even propose that without the correction of the Lord, without him putting his finger on the things that in our lives are not of him, we can't have complete consecration. And I believe that the Lord wants to correct us as the good father that he is, so that we become more like Jesus. Whether, whether you realize it or not, we all have a lens that we see, therefore expect the Lord's correction to look like in our lives. Tell me how you were corrected as a kid, and I'll tell you the lens that you see the Father correcting you with. What's, what's that proverb that, you know, we partially quote often about the Lord's discipline, right? The Lord's correction. The Lord corrects those who he loves. And if you, if you leave it at that, it's almost 
like this distance that is created from this mindset that he is Lord and I am servant. But let's read what it says in the whole context, right? Verse 11 and 12, this is Proverbs 3. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves, corrects, disciplines him who he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. What does the rest of the verse say? As a father, the son in whom he delights. The correction of the Lord is rooted in the delight of a father over his children. He doesn't correct you because he's angry with you, disappointed in you, fed up with you, out of patience for you. He corrects because he loves you. And that love flows from a place of delight in who you are in him. Here's the thing, though. If we believe that his correction is rooted in his anger or disappointment in us, we're going to have a real hard time receiving it. In fact, we'll probably run from it. We'll try to avoid the correction of the Lord as much as we can. Because in our minds, it's pain. It's punishment. But knowing that his correction is rooted in his delight over us should actually provoke us all the more to be lovesick for his loving correction. Because the correction of the Father is actually unto something. When, when we perceive correction as punishment, we expect it to cause pain, right? Because for many, that was the experience with correction. It was through punishment. I mean, I, I grew up with a Hispanic mom and dad in the 80s and 90s, so... I've been thrown at anything that, and everything that you can think of. <laughs> Man, did the Lord have to change my perspective when it came to his correction. Because his correction is not unto punishment. And we said earlier how Jesus, for his name's sake, already took all of the punishment that you and I deserved. That's good news. But what happens, I think, often is that we actually, um, we actually confuse consequence and punishment. I mean, we don't want either, right? We don't want punishment, nor the consequences of our bad choices. And consequences point to behavior. Behavior points to the heart. Because from the heart is where everything flows from. Meaning that what is in your heart 
both good and bad, will manifest itself in your behavior. And with behavior, there's both good and bad consequences. So if you want more good consequences to happen in our lives, we got to pay attention to what's in our hearts. That's where the Father wants to instruct us. That's, that, that's where he wants to correct us. That's where he wants to change the way that we perceive him. Because the correction, the instruction of the Father is unto life. Wisdom is, is knowledge and is understanding as well as it is instruction and correction. And the Father, in his wisdom, will, he will challenge through his instruction, through his correction, the things in us that don't align with the truth of who he is as a good father. The instruction and correction of the Father is always drenched with promise. I'm going to prove it to you. This is out of Proverbs uh, 3 from 1 to 12. And I, I put it kind of on a graph so that you can see it better side by side. <clears throat> but for every point of instruction, every point where there could be correction, um, there's the promise attached to it. And so when he first says, don't forget my teaching and keep, keep it in your heart, here's a promise. I will add days, years, and peace to your life. So if he instructs us to hold on to steadfast love and faithfulness, write them in your heart, the promise is we will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. We all know this one. If we trust the Lord with all of our hearts and not lean on our understanding. We, if we see him in everything, what's the promise? He's going to make our path straight. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Then what's the promise? That is actually going to bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with everything you have and produce. And to that, there's a promise that you will overflow with more than enough. And finally, don't despise the Father's discipline or be wary of his correction. This is a promise. He does so out of his delight for you because he loves you. This should cause us to change the way that we think about, not only think about, but even receive and welcome the correction of the Lord. Because it's always unto something. It's not just the correction for the sake of changing a behavior. It's actually correction that brings us more into identity. It's actually correction that brings us more into destiny. It brings us more into who he's made us to be. And without it, without it we can't become that. 
if we don't allow him to correct us, if we don't allow him to refine us, we're going to hold on to the things in our hearts that are not from him. And I believe that pride fights against the correction of the Father that is unto the consecration of our hearts. Pride will fight against the correction of the Father, the instruction of the Father. But guess what? Humility welcomes it. Humility says, I, I'm, I must come low. <laughs> I must come low so that you would refine me, so that you would purify me, so that you would consecrate me. And that, that's, that's the heart that wants to be set apart for him. A heart like that will actually seek out the correction of the Father. It would, actually experience, it would actually hunger to experience the delight of the Father through correction, which empowers us into transformation. Like, I want to experience the delight of the Father in my life in every area. And now I get to experience it in correction? Okay. That there's a place in the Lord and in, the, in, in His heart for correcting us and, and changing us and transforming us that actually like brings life. It actually fills us with the delight of the Father that we can walk away not like we just got spanked and you know in shame and guilt but we can actually walk away with our heads held high knowing that we've just been washed over with the delight of a good Father. Here's the thing. I feel like I've said here's the thing a few times tonight. <laughs> to be willing to be corrected, you have to be willing to be wrong. If you aren't willing to be wrong, to have to adjust, to have to change, you won't be willing to be corrected. And... and Here's a big one for all of, all of you. Like all of us have some degree of influence in other people's lives. There's people that the Lord's put in your life, whether that's family, a friend, or you, a business, like places where the Lord has given you a voice and influence in people's lives. If the Father gives you a voice in someone else's life, if he gives you a place of influence with those he's placed around you to speak wisdom, instruction, correction, do not, hear me loud and clear, do not correct unless you are operating from the same place of delight that the Father corrects you and I from. We're quick to want to correct people. We're quick to say, oh, they should do this, this, and this, and this, or I would do this, this, and that, or 
and, and in all fairness, like your opinion might actually be wisdom, might actually be from the Lord. But if your heart for that person is not the same as the Father's heart that is filled with delight for them, guess what? Your correction has no place to land. And so we get to overcome this temptation almost, like to want to correct others to adjust their behavior to our preferences. Because guess what? At the core of that is control. And so if, giant if, (laughs) if the Lord has given you a place of influence in someone's life, make sure you only correct from the light. The light corrects unto identity. The light corrects unto destiny. I'm a father of four girls. And so because of that, I have a place of influence and authority in their lives as a voice in their lives. And my responsibility is to mirror what the Father does with me. That's the only chance I have at getting this thing right. (laughs) It can't be my own version of what the Father does, or what a good Father does. But it has to be the actual mirror image of who he is and how he deals with me as a son. And again, God is not interested in the consecration of our behavior. He's interested in, con- in consecrating our hearts. Our behavior will follow whatever our hearts is consecrated to. So, okay, everybody look at me. Everybody looking at me? Okay, good. Stop trying to be holy by trying to change your behavior. Be holy by surrendering your heart. That's what we get to do. Let's be holy by consecrating our hearts to him knowing that he delights in me. He delights in you. And from that place of delight, he's going to point to the things in our hearts that are not his. Consecration is is a heart issue, not a behavioral one. In our hearts is what he desires like the bridegroom that he is. He desires for his bride. Who is the bride of Christ? We are. He desires for his bride to give him all of her heart, not just parts of it. I'm almost done. You guys doing good? So guess what? They can't be no compromise. 
no compromise. And it's not just in the things that could be sin, but compromise in what is actually a priority in our lives. Jesus is enough, and he must be everything. He is enough, and he must be everything. I'm going to leave you with a practical way of doing this. And we find this in, um, I'm not going to read the, well, maybe I'll read the passage, a couple, yeah, a couple of verses. Joshua 24, verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The fear of the Lord should provoke, provoke us to... Number one, get rid of the idols in your life. We read it earlier. He doesn't share his glory with another. He's a jealous God. And even as, as I'm saying this, like some of you might already know in your heart what have been the things, the idols. that as you have allowed the Lord to search your heart, he is pointing to the very things that need surrender. The very things that just need to be getting rid of. And I love that Joshua says, hey, if you have a hard time with that idea, choose today whom you're going to serve. Today. Because the Lord will not take for himself a divided heart. A heart that is not completely and utterly his. The Lord said in scripture, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. That tells me that you can say all the right things, Use all the Christianese. With the wrong motives in our hearts. That we can honor him with our lips, but keep our divided hearts. Honestly, it, it grieves me that we as the church have gotten good at this. And so it's, this, it's that choose this day whom will you serve. That, that's, that's a daily invitation, this day. You can't change what happened yesterday. You might consider yesterday and be like, well, yesterday I served 
God with 95% of my life. This other 5%, not so much, maybe. Like, you can allow the Lord to examine those things, but there's nothing you can do to change that. What you can do something about is today. And the Lord is looking for our yes, our hearts to him today. For us to choose whom we will serve today. And I love it that Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You guys can do whatever you want. If you want to give yourselves to other gods and other idols, you can do that. Like God is not going to force himself on you. But if you choose rightly today, if you choose to serve the one true God today with your life, if you choose today to give him your whole heart, guess what? That means that you get to, you and your house, be given unto the Lord. It's this, this posture that I will not be shaken off of that idea. I've made up my mind. And so wherever you are in that process, whether the Lord is shaking things in you, whether he's taking things from you, whether you're allowing him to do so or not quite yet, that's okay. Because he's a father who delights in you. And we have overcomplicated how easy it is for us to turn our affections to him. Like, it's not of works that we come back to him. No, no, it's a simple, like, turn into him. Turn into his word. Turn into what he has to say. Turn into his delight, his opinion of my life. That's it. That's the invitation. It's that easy. And so I am, I am not going to tell you how to respond. That's between, between you and the Lord. And I, I know and I believe that your response isn't just for this moment. Um, this is the ongoing invitation, the ongoing response to him that we get to have, that we get to do. But as, as we close, I do want to open up the space in the front. Um, we're going to close service here in just a minute. Um, and if you want to find a place to just be with the Lord, to come before him and, and, and let him know that you actually, you actually mean it when you say, Lord, shake it. More importantly, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Search my heart. Search my heart. Because I've made up my mind. This day, I'm choosing you. This day, I'm declaring that 
me, myself, and my house, those who you have given me around me, those who I have influence with, those who you have given me a voice in their lives, we're going to be completely consecrated to you. To you. We're going to be devoted to you. We're going to be set apart for you. We're going to be made holy just for you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that all across this room, you are piercing our hearts tonight. Thank you that your truth divides. Your truth divides in the best way possible. That which is not of you and that which is you. So refining fire, come. Refining fire, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. I say yes to you. I will choose this day and tomorrow and the next day and the next day who I'm going to serve. Thank you, Father, that your delight just washes over us. That it's just that easy. That we can come into your presence and your delight just washes over us everything that is not of you. Lord, it is for your sake, for your glory, for your holiness, for your beautiful name that is above every name that we are consecrated, that we are pure, that we are sanctified. So I just bless what you're doing in this room. I bless what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us of the righteousness of Christ in us. I thank you for the goal that is being revealed as you purify us, as you refine us. I thank you that more of your nature, I ask that more of your nature will be revealed in us as we surrender to you. God, make us holy. Make us righteous. Thank you, Jesus. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.